we work at the UK Stem Cell Bank with pluripotent stem cells. So There's a very specific term that's used, but it means that they have the potential to form all the cell types of the body. The human embryonic stem cells that we have would still be considered the gold standard for treating disease. I think it could be game-changing for patients. This is the National Health Executive Podcast, bringing you views, insight and conversation from leaders across the health sector. Presented by Louis Morris. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lee Carpenter, who is the head of the UK Stem Cell Bank. So, Lee, stem cells are quite a popular term. It's a phrase that everyone, I guess, knows, but I guess... Not everyone will be that familiar with what stem cells actually are. So could you give us a rundown on what stem cells are and how they help the NHS? Yeah, sure. Um, there's different types of stem cells. There's uh, more mature stem cells that exist in, in adults, say blood stem cells that can help to repopulate blood through adult life. But they have limited expansion potential and they can only contribute to blood, blood lineages such as red cells, T cells, B cells and so on. We work at the UK Stem Cell Bank with pluripotent stem cells. So there's a very specific term that's used, but it means that they have the potential to form all the cell types of the body. So that makes them very special for many, many different applications in disease and regenerative therapies. And the other aspect to a pluripotent stem cell is that they can divide essentially in a mortal fashion. They can divide for long periods and retain their stability and their qualities so that they can be expanded and manufactured and even gene edited so we get the desired effects from cell types that we want to manufacture and produce. You mentioned the UK Stem Cell Bank there and you are the head of the UK Stem Cell Bank. Would you mind explaining what the UK Stem Cell Bank is and what it is you guys do? Well, I'm fairly new. I'm the, as I understand it, the third director or head of the UK Stem Cell Bank. My role is to provide scientific leadership and strategic leadership as you're aware from from the various um, media and um, coverage that we've had, the bank has been in, in existence for 20 years now. We celebrated that recently. It came as a result of a House of Lords steering committee on the use of embryonic stem cells or pluripotent stem cells, as we refer them to them as, um, and to ensure guardianship, uh, high quality and standards and safe and ethical use. So that's the remit of the bank. Is, is It was set up, again, to offer the guardianship and safe use and ensure quality. But we also conduct research. So we've got programmes of research around better banking practices, automation. We've just had a collaboration with a, a Japanese consortium called Symphonia that was very successful. And we offer advice and guidance to the stem cell community around uh, regulations that exist for the stem cell manufacturing. So you mentioned the partnership with the Japanese company there and automation. There was some stuff in the media about that as well. How big a future will automation play in the stem cells? I think it's going to be fairly critical. We can see that the manufacturing of stem cells is hugely labour intensive. It's fairly expensive too. So when we think about scale up and, and manufacturing, we can bring the cost down if we do that through automation. And that bringing down the cost makes it more accessible to healthcare organisations and ultimately to the patients. But also, as a side to that, we can ensure the highest quality and standards. When, when automation is inv- involved in the manufacture of stem cells, the expectation is that it will remove uh, any unexpected human errors and ensure the quality and safety of the stem cells remain. And from your perspective, what are the main opportunities for stem cell research? Because I was doing a little bit of research myself, and it seems that like they can help with everything from blood cancer to blindness. That's quite a huge range. 
Where do you think yep. the next big step is? Where do you think, I guess, research should focus or could focus? I mean, as you mentioned, there's lots of uh, disease areas that stem cells can be used to treat. Uh, we've heard at our 20th celebrations a phase one clinical trial for macular degeneration that, that was run by Moorfields Eye Hospital uh, and University College London, presented by Peter Coffey. And that was very successful. Um, it is Phase one is primarily a safety study, but it also demonstrated that you, you could restore vision in those patients. And those patients were over 80 years old and they were essentially classed as blind. They had their driver's license taken away and even after treatment that the, the license was restored. So that was a very good outcome for those patients. We also see it in the treatment of type 1 diabetes with pharmaceutical company in the US now publishing data to, to show that type 1 diabetics have been very successfully treated with stem cell therapies so they can maintain their glycemic levels in a very healthy state. Uh, we can see it uh, with the trials that were started some time ago for treatment of Parkinson's and spinal cord, that's ongoing. But I think the next revolution in treatment of uh, the use of stem cells is in the treatment of cancer. So this is where you can derive immune cells from stem cells, the, the, the blood compartments I talked about earlier, you can you can direct them to cancer in patients and that will then target either leukemias or, or solid tumours hopefully one day. But there's some very good readouts now from pharmaceuticals in the US around leukemias and so that, that's um, looking very promising. You also worked um, for the NHS for quite a while on human-induced pluripotent stem cells, which you've mentioned there, and you like them to embryonic stem cells. Is that the more um, run-of-the-mill term, would you say? Well, originally they were termed embryonic-like. They are so much similar that, that they could be considered pluripotent stem cell for sure. Lots of work to demonstrate that they are very, very similar to embryonic stem cells, but they don't have that same origin. They've been derived from skin cells and reprogrammed. It's a term we call when you introduce genetic factors and it takes them all the way back to the embryonic state. So skin cells are no longer the epithelial-like cells that you would expect to see in skin or even fibroblast cells. They become embryonic-like um, and they express all the factors associated with pluripotent stem cells and they retain that pluripotency that we talk about so they can differentiate into all the cell types to be considered for uh, advanced therapies in the different disease areas that we mentioned. So very promising and, and the, the thing that was very exciting about that work, it was groundbreaking back in 2006, what's first demonstrated in mice, 2007 in human cells, is that it does take some away some of the ethical concerns, they're easy to work with, it's not such a highly regulated environment. It does mean, of course, more applicable for research, but there are thousands of cell lines out there that now are um, research grade. Uh, induced pluripotent stem cells or artificial stem cells. It's not many that are considered clinical grade. So again, that, that we have a quite a vast repository of human embryonic stem cells in the bank, over 180 lines for research and development, but 30 which can be used for uh, human application, so of clinical grade. Uh, it's the largest repository in the world of its kind. And in a sense, they also represent the gold standard in the field. So about artificial induced pluripotent stem cells, but the human embryonic stem cells that we have would still be considered the gold standard for treating disease. I mean, it really is a fascinating subject area. How did you get into stem cell research in the first place? Yeah, it's a good question. I have had quite a varied career and I started my first postdoc in Australia, in Sydney. 
uh, actually investigating enzymes, proteins were involved in type 1, type 2 diabetes. When we manipulated proteins in the cells to understand their role in type 1, type 2 diabetes, those cells started growing as if they were stem cells. And that really excited me. I thought immediately uh, the cell replacement here, an option for treatment of type 1 and type 2 diabetes, came back to the UK uh, and continued my postdoctoral fellowship career at the University of Cambridge, where we looked at the role of genes in stem cells and cancer. So I continued trying to investigate mechanisms of pluripotency, what constitutes a stem cell, what main, maintains pluripotent features of a stem cell for clinical application. And then I moved to NHS blood and transplant, where I spent the best part of 10 years trying to understand uh, the potential for pluripotent stem cells. It was really focused on, as I mentioned, induced pluripotent stem cells. So they're a little bit easier to work with in terms of regulatory aspects and, and just being able to obtain the tissue. And at that time, there's a lot of controversy in the literature around the potential for any pluripotent stem cell for uh, application in, in disease and regenerative medicine because the dogma was that they couldn't contribute to adult tissues. And if you want to provide adult cures, you want to say such as cardiomyocytes, you want that to be an adult cardiomyocyte or heart cell that can integrate properly into the adult heart and not induce, potentially induce arrhythmias. And that's one aspect of uh, the concern in the field around uh, treating heart disease. But in blood, we were concerned that uh, for say applications in transfusion medicine, for the replacement of blood in transfusions. The red cells that we were making using pluripotent stem cells, the, the worry was that they were only embryonic. Thoughts at the time were that they couldn't differentiate into adult red cells, and that could be a problem for therapies. Um, and it became a focus of my work to demonstrate that regardless of the source, whether it's pluripotent stem cells, we took cord blood too, which is considered adult stem cells, um, and showed that they're essentially identical when you differentiate them, when you make red cells from them, and we made B cells and we subsequently made T cells and biotech, that they have very similar characteristics to their adult counterparts. So they could be considered as a safe option for therapies. How prominent a role do you think stem cell research can play in the health services overall future strategy? Yeah, I think it could be game changing for patients, providing um, material that can uh, replace or restore disease tissue or aged tissue. It's not something that you tend to associate with drugs and small molecules and even RNA strategies now. So it's advanced cellular therapies is going to be a game changer for uh, treatment of patients in the future. I think it'd be great if uh, NHS blood transplant could adopt some of these um, options sooner or at least investigate potential for, for uptake the other aspect of um, cellular therapies is considered a living drug. So it's usually considered a one-off treatment. You get one infusion of differentiated cells that then persist with the patient. If it's cardiomyocyte or heart cells, you expect them to integrate into the heart and, and persist with the patient and continue to provide improvement in heart function. And if it's T cells for treatment in cancer therapy, that lives with the patient so that once in remission, uh, they stay in remission. The hope is that um, the T cells live with the patient, and if the tumor grows back, then the T cells are reactivated and can target the cancer again. So, so eventually, that will bring down the cost of treatments. So it's not going to be daily regimes of injections or pills. It will be a one-off treatment of a living drug that persists with the patient. So, 
yeah, this is going to be really uh, game-changing uh, and exciting times. I mean, as you mentioned there, it really does seem like the possibilities are almost endless. But moving back onto the UK Stem Cell Bank in particular, what do you think the next two, five, ten years has in store for them or for you? Yeah, we want to continue to release more lines and we have, as I mentioned, 30 considered clinical grade. We want to keep on releasing those to the scientific community, make more available. That's of major importance. We want to continue our research activities around better banking practices. Automation is going to be key. We also want to move into new areas of banking, so other progenitors. We, we do want to bank some artificial induced pluripotent stem cells. We want to ease the manufacturing path for customers so that if they get progenitors that are already committed to the tissues uh, that uh, would be suitable for treating disease, then uh, that, that's a big advantage for them. If I could ask you one thing that you want to happen in the next 10 years, one thing, just one thing, what would it be in terms of stem cells, obviously? Oh, that's tricky. Obviously, automation is really important, but that I think will progress uh, with, with the pharmaceutical companies um, and, and us working with them with our projects, our research projects that we've, we've had and will continue to investigate those options around automation. Uh, but I think a major area that I would like to focus on would be treatment of cancer. Obviously, it affects millions worldwide. Uh, there's some very good readouts in, in clinical trials now that we're seeing, particularly in the US, with the use of NK and T cells, which are part of the immune system targeting cancer, um, particularly leukemias, and very good readouts there. So I think it's the future for, for treatment of cancer. But for a long time, we've been stuck with the usual chemotherapy regimes, radiation combination strategies. And this is the start of a new era, I think, in cell therapy for cancer. That's been the National Health Executive Podcast. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the National Health Executive Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to make sure you receive every new edition.